This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Uh, welcome. Uh, this is uh, from the Old Brewery, uh, a postgraduate podcast program at uh, at the School of Language, Literature, Music, and Visual Culture. Uh, I'm Dr. Sokchun Kim. I'm the director of a PG, uh, PGR, and we have a co-host, Ian. Yeah, hi, my name is Ian. I'm uh, a PhD uh, research student in creative writing and co-hosting the podcast with Jun. Yes, uh, for, for this episode, we have a guest, uh, Lauren. So Lauren is a PGR student at Aberdeen, uh, spe- specifically st- situated in the German department. Uh, she received her BA in German from King's College London and an MA in creative uh, create writing from Newcastle University. So Lauren uh, is originally from Jarrow, a town in the northeast of England. Outside her, of her research, Lauren's interests lie in horror films, films about the uh, Vietnam War, uh, croquetting and various other kinds of uh, fiber arts, uh, though she says she can't knit to save her life. Welcome, Lauren. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, it's good to have you here. Uh, so, a BA in German and an MA in creative writing. Uh, that's a quite an unusual combination, Lauren. Can you tell us how these intersect and how you came to Aberdeen for your PhD? Uh, yeah, so um, I initially chose to study German um, after sort of my A-levels because I've always found the language very uh, kind of linguistically fascinating. Um, I also had a really great German teacher at school who she really inspired me to take it uh, further. And uh, I think as someone from the Northeast, it's there's a lot of similarities in sort of the German language and the kind of tonal uh, way that the accent works where I come from, um, as well as sort of slang terms as well, which I find really interesting. Um, and so a BA in German, I mean, in, in most languages in um in the British education system, it's a very wide field. So you don't just kind of learn the language. You also look at the culture, you look at the history, um, you know, uh, art, uh, literature, um, all kinds of different areas, as well as just, you know, the mechanics of learning the language. And then um, as for Aberdeen, it was pretty much my first and only choice. Oh, really? Um, yes. <laughs> um, I actually ended up coming here because uh, I follow my uh, former personal tutor from King's on Twitter, and he'd retweeted a tweet from my current supervisor, Katya. Oh, Katya Krylova. Um, she was uh, advertising uh, the Isabella Middleton Scholarship, and uh, she said, you know, anybody who's considering uh, applying for a PhD, uh, there's some funding available um, and I kind of quite impulsively decided to go for it. Um, but it's something that's been at the back of my mind ever since I first, you know, found out about these filmmakers um, because I'd sort of very briefly touched on them and I wanted to do a lot more. So it's, it seems like it's a, you're from London and Newcastle and Aberdeen. So it's a, the general it's trajectory. <laughs> you're <Yes>. kind of <laughs> migrating. Yeah. So you're here on a scholarship. Yes. Oh, that's great. That's really good. Yeah. You, were t- you just mentioned film there. And in your bio, you say, you know, you, you, you love film and particularly films about the Vietnam War. Yeah. And, you know, what, is it that interest that overtook 
um, you know, you're interested in, in creative writing, say, it was just that, that interest in film that compelled you to, what, what, what made you choose film to focus on for a PhD? Um, so it, it really is a passion project for me. Um, my PhD is something that I would be kind of sitting in my room writing about anyway if I wasn't <laughs> here doing it like, you know, academically. Um, I mean, like overall, there's a lot about film that interests me. I love the kind of the culture around film. I love watching a film for entertainment and I also love kind of picking them apart. Um, I find, you know, there's there's a lot of fun um, that I have kind of doing my research. So it, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm quite fortunate in that way. You think you're MA and creative writing, you know, with that understanding of narrative and, and things like that, does that, does that, does that feed into your, your love of film and you say picking them apart and sort of uh, uh, analyzing them, I guess? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, creative writing is something that's always been a huge passion of mine, sort of um, uh, personally, um, something that I did for like my own enjoyment. And there's a lot that I've learned from from um, my MA that kind of carried me through to um, where I am now. Uh, other than just, you know, the process of kind of producing fiction. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing that I got from my uh, MA is having quite a thick skin um because <laughs> you need one of those in creative writing that's for sure. yes uh so there's there's something about creative writing as you know studying it academically that kind of necessitates being able to um not take things personally um and i think also especially with with my phd subject being such a personal thing for me as well um i think it's easy to kind of get lost in the um in in the you know what how it it's important to me so to like film. yeah so to be able to kind of like remove myself from my writing and see it objectively and you know when 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 i get feedback from um katya and she says you know cut this or move this around i'm like i can see that objectively and i definitely got that from my ma because you come into a, a seminar and you have this personal thing that you've written mm -hmm. and then you know people are saying well that structurally doesn't work or <laughs> and it's it's quite difficult at first so yeah i it, there's a lot that i got from my ma but i think that's the the biggest thing yeah it's very useful because you have to uh, you, if you're passionate about what you're writing about, you then have to remove your, yourself from that passion, don't yeah. you, and, and analyze the text itself sort of objectively. Mm. Which yeah. Is... Let's go a, a bit detail of your research. So your research interest is in in the Viet, uh, the films about uh, the Vietnam War, uh, yeah. particularly uh, these documentary uh, filmmakers. That, uh, if I, I'm sorry if I not, if I cannot pronounce their names, like. Uh, Hinoski and Shoyman? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Okay. <laughs> so this Hinoski and Shoyman's they are they are the filmmakers in the East Germ East Germany. Yeah. So what brought you to the to the films of the Hinoski and Shoyman then? Um, so it's actually quite an interesting story. In my final year at King's uh, for my BA, I was getting kind of independently really interested in films about the Vietnam War. Um, I love films about war. I find them so interesting as sort of a cultural reflection of, of mm -hmm. you know, um, values, I think. Uh, so things like, you know, the, the miniseries Band of Brothers. And then um, I think there's something really fascinating about films about the Vietnam War, like Apocalypse Now, um, Full Metal Jacket, mm -hmm. Platoon, those really iconic films. I think uh, there's a lot of um, 
sort of aesthetic markers in the films that are used as shorthand to signal other things in filmmaking. Um, and you can kind of see that as the way that the Vietnam War becomes sort of a, an, a cultural thing in America, which is really interesting to me. Um, and, you you know, it's kind of works as shorthand for, for themes of, you know, protest and um, uh, the, you know, uh, criticizing the military because you come out of the Second World War and you have a slightly more problematic military in that sense. I suppose so, it's, a, it's a cultural object in itself you think of vietnam and it's got so many associations hasn't it the first time mass media was kind of yeah involved right, in war right, yeah. uh, and the imagery of it the, the, the sort of horror of it and yeah. you say the protests and the people's attitudes towards war maybe maybe changed quite a lot in that mm. time i think i think the the image that most sort of um people in the society that I live in have a Vietnam is definitely mediated through mm -hmm. the American experience of it and, you know, how American films portray it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that was all kind of happening in the background of my German BA. And I was kind of maybe worrying that I kind of gone down the wrong path academically because I was so invested in this kind of this, the culture and the, um, the films about Vietnam and, and what they say about America as well. And then um, I took a class in my final year taught by uh, Dr. Martin Brady, who's great. I still uh, email him now. Um, <laughs> he 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 had a class on um, uh, new German cinema in East and West. So we we did a lot of different films um, in that came out of East and West Germany. So when they were two different countries and um, I took this class and we were introduced to these films by uh, Heinowski and Scheinman. They made um, several uh, Vietnam films. They were kind of uh, documentary films. And it was such a stroke of luck that I got to find them because uh, I was kind of at the time, you know, worrying that I'd made the wrong choice. And then along come these two guys who made this really niche Did just connection. Yeah, <laughs> just for me. Um, and I was also, yeah, I was really taken by them quite instantly. I found them really, um, they have such a strong voice in all of their films that I find really um, investing. And yeah, uh, so I, I wrote an essay on it and it was very short because of the word count. And I've always kind of felt like I could write so much more. <laughs> so that's why I'm here now. So you say you wrote, wrote an essay on it. Is that the essay the, the that you win the prize? No. For no um, oh no, so that was so this back was in, back, yeah, back, back yeah, during my sorry. BA. Yeah. I wrote an essay for, for this class and then um ever since then I've been like, I need I need to write more. <laughs> so you say that they have a very strong voice. Is that what stands for you about about their work or is it, is it can you tell us a little bit more about you know, why their films stand out for you, apart from this intersection of the German culture and the the way German culture views the Vietnam War or East, East German culture views the Vietnam War? Um, yeah, so this is quite a brief rundown of sort of who they are. It's very truncated. Um, but so basically they were making these films um, for the GDR. That's the German Democratic Republic, which was East Germany. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time it was a socialist country and it was a satellite state of the USSR. So there's all these kind of elements of surveillance and censorship that kind of form the background of the films they were making. Um, and when they first started working together, they were working for uh, DEFA, which was the, it's the name of the state owned production company that used to exist in the GDR. Uh, so pretty much every film that was made in the GDR would be kind of 
through DEFA, you know, they would get money from DEFA to film and it was all owned by the government. So was this during the 1960s? Yes, it was actually, DEFA was established in... It was the early 50s, mm. very early 50s. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they, they were working for DEFA and then... In 1969, they were given their own production company. It was called Studio H and S or H and S, um, and it was a huge privilege to be given that kind of um, autonomy mm-hmm. in the GDR. Uh, so they had a lot of economic um, independence and the independence to be able to travel and sort of interact with um, Western uh, people, Western culture. They even sold one of their films to the American broadcast company NBC, which was a huge deal. Um, So they they kind of gave East Germany quite a bit of international legitimacy uh, because they were making these films that almost transcended boundaries of this huge, you know, political divide. And as for their background, so they were teenagers during the Second World War. And I think so the, the, the things they experienced in the Nazi regime really informed the films that they were making sort of once they were no longer in that sort of culture. So Heinowski was a very, very low level assistant in the Luftwaffe and uh, Scheumann attended a Napola school, which was kind of like a special school that was uh, made by uh, the Nazi government to indoctrinate uh, young people sort of, you know, to get them to the peak and, and prepare them for, you know, the the thousand year Reich, basically. And so they were just children at this, you know, this period in their lives. And they they came out of that experience with very strongly socialist beliefs. Um, And you can see, like, in all of their films, there's this struggle that they have with um, collective guilt and responsibility, which I definitely think is as strong as it is because of, you know, the way they were kind of experiencing the Second World War. And I think it's also really important to note that they they did believe in socialism. You know, it was a I think it was a thing that they really um, engaged with, but they weren't uncritical of socialism and they weren't uncritical of the GDR or of communism. So they made a film called uh, Die Ankar, uh, which is about the Cambodian genocide by the Khmer Rouge. Right. So in in a lot of ways, that film is kind of their own personal interrogation of. Um, how how you can be socialist or communist and how you can identify with imagery like the hammer the hammer and sickle mm-hmm. and then also um understand and, and accept the fact that a, a terrible genocide was was um committed in in the name of that symbol so they they wanted to kind of solve the problems of socialism with their films as much as they wanted to kind of um, support socialism. Do you think they were critiquing um, the the socialist system in, in the German Democratic Republic through, you know, sort of vicariously almost through the Vietnam conflict and, the, and what was going on in Cambodia? Do you think they were, you know, in a roundabout way critiquing or do you think they were, you know, improperly embedded in that system and um, I think there's there's definitely enough self-awareness to me in their films to suggest that they weren't uncritical of the country they lived in. Um, and I think, you know, they had aspirations to make 
the country a place where you can sort of say, well, you know, maybe this isn't right. Um, but to still, you know, they still very much wanted to live in a socialist society. So among the Hinoski and Shoyman's documentary films, and what films specifically uh, are you focusing on for your project? Um, so I'm very much focused on their Vietnam films. Um, and I recently finished um, quite a huge chapter on their uh, four-part documentary, Pilots in Pajamas. Oh, the Pilots in yes. Pajamas, that sounds, that sounds <laughs> intriguing. Yes. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit more yeah. about, about that? Um, yeah, so it was made in 1968, so that's before they were kind of uh, more independent from uh, uh, the the uh, government production company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is... Uh, so it's it's in four parts. It's actually all available on YouTube in English. If oh, you really? search, right. yes, if you search pilots in how, pajamas, how long is it? About five hours long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's not. Yeah, if you if you've ever got five hours to sort of kill with nothing else to do, um, <laughs> it's really it's really fascinating. So it's um, they were granted special dispensation to go to Vietnam in 1967, wow. um, and film uh, in a prison camp for um, American POWs who'd been shot down um, sort of in the process of bombing uh, Vietnam. So it's really quite unique because it captures this moment where many other people would not have been able to get in contact with these men. Why do you think they they managed that? Because, I mean, I can imagine the regime in North Vietnam being completely... You imagine that it was completely closed yeah so i mean to an extent it was but there was this implied solidarity between um you know socialist and communist countries at the time and the gdr and the the democratic republic of north vietnam so that's just you know the the communist part at the time they had a political relationship so i think so they made a film called 400 centimeters cubed which is it was a documentary film to drum up the to get east germans to donate blood to the the North Vietnamese war effort, and I think uh, the the authorities in in North Vietnam quite liked that, and so they they liked the filmmakers, and they said, well, you know, you can come over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, this film is um, a series of interviews with POWs who'd been captured. There's about ten of them, sort of the main guys. They have some other people coming in as well, and they're quite big names. Um, so you have Robinson Reisner, who was a really—he's quite famous in certain circles—and uh, Everett Alvarez Jr., who was the first American airman to be um, shot down over North Vietnam. Also, Edward Hubbard, who I was really fortunate to be able to talk to a few weeks ago. Brilliant. Oh, really? Yeah. So I got in contact with him and he kind of explained, he was really helpful. He sort of talked about the the way that the film was put together. How Roughly how old is he, is he right now? He's uh, 83. And okay. yeah, he, he had amazing recall of um, his experiences. He, you know, he talked me through a lot of the... Um, the circumstances around how it was made. He wasn't told very much, for example, before he was kind of sat down and and interrogated basically by these two Germans. And it really sort of helped to strengthen my kind of critical understanding of the documentary. Do you think it was a a film that was a a piece of propaganda for the communism and and for the North Vietnamese? Yes, Uh, definitely it was. Uh, I think it's very difficult to divorce 
Heinowski and Scheumann from the concept of propaganda, especially because they themselves kind of said they weren't offended that, you know, they were making, you know, people would say, well, you're making propaganda. And they'd say, well, that's not a bad thing to do is pretty much what they were kind of arguing. And so as well as these interviews, they come into it with the idea that they want to kind of understand the the pilots, what makes them act the way they do, what makes them, you know, um, agree to drop bombs on mm. civilian areas. That, that's interesting because it flips the whole thing on its head because in the West, anyway, we're, we often immediately, if we think of pilots in, uh, that have been in captivity, that have been shut down, we immediately think about how they're being treated as prisoners yeah. of war. Yeah. That's, the, that's just the way, because of the, you know, the, the way we've, the, the lens that we've viewed the war through, through, through American films, basically. And to turn it on its head and, and to try and understand why the pilots might want to, you know, attack people in mm-hmm. this other country is, is really interesting. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I think so uh, quite a large part of this documentary is um, the links they make between the American pilots and Nazism, which is quite an inflammatory thing, I think. So they very explicitly make these connections. They talk about um, Adolf Eichmann, who is kind of popularly known to be the architect of the Holocaust. And he was uh, trialed in uh, Jerusalem in really quite a famous trial. And he he kind of made the argument that he was just following orders, just kind of doing what he was told. Mm. And that's actually where the phrase the banality of evil comes from. Uh, so you have the um, uh, sociologist, I think she was, uh, Hannah Arendt, who mm. observed the trial and she coined that phrase to describe Eichmann. So they kind of take these interviews and they look for instances where the pilots make these arguments that evoke Eichmann's mm. kind of defense of his own actions. Just so, this, yeah, the way they rationalize. Yeah. It's quite a leap, though, from yes. a serviceman and Eichmann. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and they, you know, they're not kind of equating the two exactly because they are also coming at it from an angle of having, however unwillingly, aided and abetted the, yeah. the Nazi uh, regime or, you know, being a part of it in a school. So I don't think they're kind of pointing the finger and saying, you know, you are Nazis. I think they're just kind of opening Join up the... Parallels. the yeah, I think they're trying to sort of open up the the conversation and talk about the Vietnam War on different levels as yeah. as well as, you know, to be able to have this conversation with the American soldiers and also to be able to think about, um, you know, the East German identity in the wake of the Second World War. And this is actually, it's where, you know, having German as a, as a second language comes in really helpful because um, Pilots in Pajamas was it was the film that they sold to NBC. And so they have this English version and they also have a German version. And so being able to kind of compare how they translate the pilots is really helpful because you can see where they make these very slight adjustments to kind of really emphasize this. Their own, their own kind of narrative. In yeah. A way. yeah. yeah. I wouldn't yeah. say that they are doctor statements. I think they just translated in a way to... that. Yeah, they translate it in a way that very specifically emphasizes the points that they're making. You couldn't, uh, do you, would you have an example? Could you remember an example? For example, they will ask pilots very directly, you know, to what extent do you think you're responsible for the destruction that's being caused in Vietnam? And the pilots will often, not all of them, some of them are quite cognizant of the fact that 
they do have a degree of responsibility, even if they were following orders, which is quite a nuanced um, take. But for example, you'll get some pilots who will say, you know, I only did what I was told. I'm a member of the, the United States Air Force and I have a responsibility to do what my superior officers tell me to do. And that's kind of the statement that they give. And in the translation, it would be uh, in German rendered something closer to, instead of saying, uh, I have to do what my superior officers tell me to do, they would say, I have to follow the orders my superior officers gave me. So they they kind of inject the word orders into there. That response, that kind of um, I was only following orders thing is always at the forefront of the mm. viewer's mind. And that goes back to um, the trials of the, the yeah. Nazi trials. Yeah. And not just Eichmann. It was a very common defense to just say, you know, I was just doing what I was told. I was just following orders. Yeah. This idea of uh, being complicit, yeah. um, passively complicit almost. Yeah. yeah. So the uh, so she seems like uh, this documentary where obviously there are two filmmakers that they are their own you know uh, vague or the very detailed narrative they would like to apply to the to this to this uh, film and then of course there is a narrative uh, given by the uh, these American soldiers and also there is East Germany there and also we have a North Be- North Vietnam there and we also have a whole audience. I guess the uh, the films films immediate audience so it would be probably from East Germany, but then you mentioned that it was aired in. It wasn't actually aired by NBC, but they did NBC, buy it. Right. <laughs> uh, so that means that it seems that there are kind of uh, multiple personal and the collective memories that are colliding. And you mentioned in your uh, in the summary we researched, you mentioned a little bit about the. Uh, Michael Rothberg's and his multi-directional memory. Yeah. So could you uh, uh, just get a little bit more uh, about that? How does how does that, you know, the uh, relate to your research? Yeah. So um, Rothberg's theory of multi-directional memory is is very central to um, my research and the way I'm kind of studying these films. Um, memory studies as a whole kind of comes out of. A very specific response to the Holocaust. So you have kind of notions of collective memory or inherited memory that come from distinct group of people surviving something that uh, wiped out a lot of of their kind of um, family and you know their ancestors. Um, so there's this kind of inherent understanding that memory studies is about victims of trauma and it always kind of feeds back into this idea that the Holocaust um, is kind of held up as a point of comparison for other traumatic historical incidents. So you tend to see this kind of argument in memory studies, academically an argument. (laughs) Um, So scholars will often either criticize the way the Holocaust is, it it loses its singularity when when it's compared, or it's placed on a pedestal and it's made untouchable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those two things kind of often dominate conversations on memory studies. It, it means that the Holocaust and also anything it's compared to can't really be touched on a, on a productive level. But Michael Rothberg suggests this uh, idea of multidirectional memory and he kind of rallies against the idea that memory is a competition or he calls it, he says it's not a zero sum game. So it's not the sense that you have these two competing um, incidents and then one of them will win out when you make a comparison. You know, one of them is worse. Um, he kind of says that's... To try and gauge 
yeah. this, the impact of the severity. Yeah. You, can't, you can't make comparisons. It has to be looked at. But it sounds like that has to be looked at on its, on its own merit. But, but, yes, but the, what is a multidirectional? So he aspect? kind of argues that there's, there should be, uh, in, in a productive engagement with memory, there should be comparisons between different um, you know, historical events that produce trauma because you know you can see in the common the commonalities and you can see in the discrepancies that there's a, a productive kind of interpretation that can come from that so for example he talks about the african-american sociologist uh, w.e.b dubois who is quite uh, famous but one of his less famous pieces that he wrote was about a trip to the warsaw ghetto he was obviously coming into it with with um a history of understanding you know slavery in america and obviously the the continued impact of racism in America. And he went to the Warsaw Ghetto, obviously after the Second World War, and he saw similarities in those experiences that helped him better understand his own history. I see. So it wasn't that he went there and decided, oh, my experiences are worse than what the Jewish people and, you know, the other people in the ghetto experienced. He didn't come out saying this is worse than my own experience. He came out of it understanding his own experience better. And I think that's what Rothberg's trying to kind of advocate for. Just the relatable levels that are... Yeah. In. What you're tackling is actually very complex and it, and it sort of reaches out into our understanding of war and trauma and not just the Vietnam War through these filmmakers, but also the Cold War, the Second World War, Germany's experience emerging out of the Second World War and comes to terms with its own sort of collective memory. And... It, it's a lot to, I can imagine that get away with you really easily. Yes. <laughs> and it's a lot to sort of to, to, yeah. to contain and hold down. I wonder how, how do you manage to, how do you navigate all that um, research in, in your approach to your thesis? It's a really broad subject. I think there's a lot of really huge concepts and it would be very easy to get overwhelmed, which is why <laughs> I find the, the films very helpful because they kind of, constrict me in a way that's productive yeah. um you know on top of all these larger concepts i also have you know close reading of specific films to kind of guide the the way that my um structure works it's also yeah there's there's kind of questions of the legitimacy of propaganda films that come into it as well and i think it's really interesting to consider that especially because i mean we consider propaganda to be quite a dirty word in the sense that it's only you know it's only used to kind of further a um a political idea that's damaging but there's a, a vietnamese american author named uh, i believe it's pronounced viet tan nguyen and he suggested kind of provocatively in an interview that big hollywood films you know even you know major blockbusters like marvel films they are themselves kind of mm, american absolutely. propaganda you have that uh, really kind of almost hidden uh, fact that whenever there's an American a branch of the American military in a film, they usually do consult to make sure that it's portrayed in a certain light. So the, the fact that propaganda is intended, you know, people believe that propaganda is this, you know, relic of the past. Yeah, right, um, but, but it's actually, it's something that's really you know, it, it's very regular. It's Part of just, everyday life, isn't it? Yeah, and you just maybe don't notice it because it's not as overt. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's 
the topics of war and memory kind of dovetail together really well because you always have this after the after the war's ended you always have people kind of struggling to come to terms with it it's that phrasing is quite intentional so there's there's a very long german word which um is used to describe the concept of how germany after the second world war kind of chose to look at its own past, which it's, the word is Vergangenheitsbewältigung. Um, <laughs> once, once more, please. Vergangenheitsbewältigung. <laughs> it's translated as coming to terms with the past. And it really informs um, a lot of how people study the cultural output, you know, like films and TV and poetry and literature that came out of Germany after the Second World War. Um, so it's kind of a very active process of facing the past a conscious one as it's quite daunting test but somehow i believe you you up to up to this far you've been successful because uh, you recently uh, written an essay uh, which won the two, 2021 women in german studies essay prize yes so can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so that essay was sort of an abridged version of uh, my chapter on pilots in pajamas and i really sort of engaged with the um Rothberg's kind of theory of multi-directional memory in that. It's currently being reviewed for publication, so hopefully um, yeah. soon well I'll done. be able to share that. Oh, which journal? German Life and Letters. Okay, wait, that's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the your thesis, yeah. your dissertation. Um, so how do you approach uh, the structure of your thesis, uh, considering that this is really difficult subject yeah. to mm. talk about with you know given given the scope and the given the limit of the for example what counts and you know the what a, a re phd research should be about and all of those things because you cannot do everything you have to do somehow structure mm -hmm. it yeah how do you do it It, it kind of depends on um, the content that I'm looking at within the films. Um, so I have a chapter that's entirely focused on pilots in pajamas because it's such a huge amount of, of content to look at. You know, it's like I said, it's almost five hours long. Um, but they did make a variety of quite short films. Some of them are only about five minutes. Um, and in that case, I do kind of look at their uh, Vietnam films as a whole and pick out sort of elements that follow through in, in multiple uh, different films. So for example, I'm also looking at in, in various films um, how the the Vietnamese people within their films are presented and what they do with the images of Vietnamese people. Because um, so you Uh, I'm especially kind of looking at um, Susan Sontag and her work on um, photography and images of suffering um, and how, you know, we should engage with those images. In that case, I have four or five films that I'm sort of looking at and it's not the, the whole content of the film, but rather I'm kind of picking out the elements mm -hmm. that I think are relevant to the critical study that I'm kind of using. Um, so for example, they have a short film called Am Wassergraben or At the Ditch, which is very specifically about the Milai massacre of 1968, where between 350 and 500 South Vietnamese civilians were uh, killed by American uh, forces. Mm. I think this short film is possibly one of their best films um it's it's kind of the pinnacle of the way that they sort of engage with the vietnamese presence in their film 
in their films because they have these images of the, uh, a US army photographer took um, in, in the aftermath of this massacre. And they're obviously really quite violent images. They're very unpleasant to look at, but they do contrast that and they contrast it with um, footage of Vietnamese people who survived the massacre. Mm-hmm. So they really do center the Vietnamese voice in this um, film. That's kind of the the most productive way to look at images of suffering by also, you know, talking to the people that uh, as close as possible to the people that... Standing itself on the people that's affected themselves, yeah, rather than that voyeuristic kind of yes. mm. external yep. viewpoint. And I think... Uh, I, as well as these images of, of violence and suffering, they do place a lot of emphasis on images of Vietnamese people kind of living their lives. And I think at the same time, there is an element of kind of tugging at heartstrings that goes into that. Uh, so you have, you know, images of children and babies, which is obviously very specifically intended to kind of make people think, oh, you know, these people are human too, <laughs> which and it doesn't Uh, occur to a lot of people a lot of the time I think and yeah I think it's really interesting that they they have this kind of duality where they use these really violent images and they also have these images of you know um Vietnamese life that Mm -hmm. they try and the rural idyll side of it yes on top of that obviously they are making propaganda and they're, they're influenced by socialist realism which is a kind of filmmaking which prioritizes the image of um manual labor um i would say mm. as as kind of a an ideal for for a communist or a socialist a noble, a noble pursuit of yeah. work so basically <laughs> the structure <laughs> the structure of my film the structure of my thesis kind of is uh formed around the films sort of depending on the content that the film encompasses um i kind of pick out different aspects that i want to talk about so um you have the 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 way that they kind of talk about memory you also have this um, engagement they have with the Vietnamese people and their culture. Yeah, there's there's various different aspects that I can kind of go through the films and pick out what I want to talk about. Did that did that structure present itself to you as an obvious way to go about it? Like you've got the films, you're interested in the films, and you recognise quickly, quite quickly, sorry, that they were a, a launch pad to into all these different issues, or did you have to figure that out? And... A little bit of both, really, um, because yeah, there's. Obviously, things like the um, the pilots in pajamas is quite a huge part of it, and you can see kind of the themes in it very clearly. And then, kind of in in looking for other chapters, other things that I can kind of discuss in detail. And what I mean, when you're watching the films, and I don't know how often people would do this, but for me, it was a thing that I did. I kind of watched them one after the other, and <laughs> when you do that, you can see the the sort of connections that maybe aren't obvious if you just watch think, one. I think only a PhD. Yes. <laughs> Great. Um, so having gone through all that, and you've already had some, some success with um, with the output of your research, with this with this essay, which is also, it's already showing some early results. I mean, how, how from off the back of that, how do you see um, your research sort of filtering out or beyond being relevant beyond, beyond, beyond your own studies? Do you think you saw it already or...? Yeah, so that's um, actually something that I'm, it's very large in my mind right now because um, I'm kind of, as I'm writing up, I'm kind of trying to constantly think about the importance of my research and, and what can be kind of gleaned from it rather than just kind of specifically as an analysis of their films. Mm-hmm. And I think, so as I was saying before about memory studies, it is very closely linked with um, the experience of victims of trauma and obviously using it for 
to sort of examine the the perpetrator angle is something that you have to do very carefully, something that I have to be very aware of. Um, and, you know, for example, the use of the word trauma is in an academic sense, very specific. It has a lot of associations that need to be really carefully considered. One thing that has come out of my research is that I think there's something to be kind of argued for in the case of of applying some of these theories of memory studies to the perpetrator side, in the sense that... To try to understand yes um because i mean the the sort of ultimate goal of memory studies i think as well as being able to access the past and understand the past in a in a productive way um is to kind of look ahead and to see these patterns kind of repeating and and be able to maybe prevent them Um, i think yeah yes definitely i think one of the key things that really um, came out of my research is this understanding that to kind of apply theories of like multidirectional memory to a perpetrator angle, I think you do definitely get a, a more nuanced understanding of, of memory and a more productive understanding as well. So I think there's so definitely... when you say productive understanding, yeah. can you just qualify yeah. that just a little little bit just when i say productive understanding i mean the sense that you can kind of look at a, an incident in the past a historical event and you can not only kind of think of it as an event in the past but also take elements of it and look at our current situation right. um, and also you know look to the future as well so rather than just kind of viewing something as a thing that in happened isolation. Yeah. yes uh, to also be able to see where you know where you can take these thoughts in the future as well brilliant mm-hmm. yeah so the final question yeah. and mm. it can be a scary one yes <laughs> so uh, what do you hope to do beyond the phd uh, do you have any ideas yet yes <laughs> so thankfully so i mean the benefit of of my phd kind of straddling german and film studies is that i'm not closing myself off to one kind of area um i feel like my career is looking ahead it's quite open there's a lot of different areas that i can go and i don't think that going in one direction would close off any other directions much like you know the fact that getting my MA in creative writing hasn't closed off my ability to get my PhD in German. Um, I've also been, I've been teaching a bit at the university and I've really enjoyed that. Um, it's something that I would definitely like to do in, in the future. As much as this is a passion project for me, there's definitely a lot of other areas of film, especially um, film on Vietnam, that I would love to kind of study in more depth. You know, um, you're already lining up the postdoc. Then, yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, there's there's other elements like I sort of um, at the beginning, you mentioned the that I love horror films. There's there's a lot that I can think I can, you know, imagine myself writing about um, films like, you know, Saw and Hostel and, and how we kind of engage with um, uh, gore and stuff on, on, on film. Mm-hmm. I also yeah, there's there's on the German or linguistic side of it as well. I'm uh, one of my favorite things to do is uh, wherever possible. I try to watch films in English with German subtitles to see how the translations work. Well, that I'd incredible. love also to have some fiction published too. That would be really nice. Um, I don't I don't want to stop writing fiction. This means uh, lots of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, uh, uh, this concludes uh, this episode with uh, Lauren. Uh, thanks, Lauren. Uh, thanks, Ian, for this wonderful discussion. Thank you. Thank you.
This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.